Hello and welcome to In A Good Place, the wellbeing and personal development podcast from Hello, hosted by me, Rosie Nixon. We're now in our third series and I'm so happy to have you here. In each episode, I chat to an inspirational personality for a catch up on life away from the spotlight and learnings about how they look after their mental and physical health. I ask each guest to come to the recording with some reset moments to discuss. A reset is when your life moves into a new chapter and I love discovering how they go about navigating that time. I'm certain that whatever you're going through, there's someone out there who has experienced something similar. There are plenty of tips and takeaways in every episode and I hope that you'll pick up some useful support and feel less alone by listening to this conversation. If you enjoy what you're hearing, please do give this podcast a follow and share your thoughts with friends or with me on social media. My guest this week is TV legend Ruth Langsford. (laughs) Ruth has been on our screens for over 30 years. She's the anchor of Loose Women and the longest serving presenter on This Morning. A hello favourite, Ruth has worked with us many times, most notably in 2010 when she married Eamon Holmes in a star-studded beautiful ceremony in Hampshire, which I was lucky enough to attend. She and Eamon have been together for 26 years and she's mother to their son Jack, who's currently at uni in Manchester. From the outside, midlife has been a time of reinvention and success for Ruth. She's the face and brains of a highly successful fashion range for QVC, and she hosted a live fashion, beauty and lifestyle event called Feeling Fabulous last year, and she seems on fire at the age of 63. Of course, there have been challenging times too, and Ruth is a committed ambassador for the Alzheimer's Society after her father, Dennis, sadly passed away in 2012 from complications caused by Alzheimer's. Alzheimer's and her mum Jo now in her 90s also has dementia so I'm sure we'll cover this topic. I absolutely love Ruth's company. She's great fun, the perfect lunch date and I'm looking forward to discovering her secret to making looking 60 plus so sensational. Welcome to the podcast Ruth. Thank you very much for a lovely intro. Thank you very much. That's very kind. Well, it's all true. So we kick off with my first question that I ask all guests, and that is, are you in a good place? Am I in a good place? Well, right now I'm sitting at home, which is always a good place for me because I love being at home. I'm quite a homebody. So that's a good place for me. Um, In life generally, I think I'm in a pretty good place. You know, I'm 63 now, so that's interesting time because you start looking ahead to older age when you have elderly parents you mentioned my father had Alzheimer's my mum now has dementia so you know it that brings into sharp focus your own health and looking towards old age and wondering what that will be like but also celebrating being in my 60s and Mm. all the things that are going on and I never thought I'd still be on TV in my 60s that's for sure so yes, I think, you know, our son has just left uni, actually. You mentioned that uni, he's finished. I can't believe that's three years gone. And he's in a good place and doing well and is very happy. So generally, yeah, I'm in a, I'm in a pretty good place. Oh, that is good to hear. And just being in a good place, is it something that sort of you, you're conscious of? Because obviously we all go through difficult, challenging times in life or feel in a fug for some reason. Are you particularly conscious of how you're feeling? Are you very in tune with yourself? Um, that's a very interesting question, Rosie. I think I'm a bit of a just get on with it person. So I don't think 
too much, too deeply sometimes about things, because sometimes I think you can disappear down a kind of tunnel of worrying about everything. Um, and I try not to do that. So I deal with what needs to be dealt with, whether it's in that moment, on that day, in that month, looking ahead to the next week. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm not a great planner. You know, people say, where do you see yourself in five years? Even when I was young and in interview questions, you know, where do you see yourself in 10 years? I wanted to say, I've got absolutely no bloody idea. I don't know. I don't plan like that. So I take opportunities yeah. when they come to me and I work very hard when I'm doing something, especially when I love it. But in terms of, you know, life and planning life and worrying about things, I tend not to do that. I just deal with the moment. And, you know, we all have mm. our challenges. Of course we do. Um, and I deal with those. And you have to, you know, while you're going through challenges, you know yourself, you know, you have a, a job, a career, but you've still got home life problems and you have to still go to work and you can't burden everybody else with your problems because everyone's having problems. So that's how I deal with, with life, I suppose. Mm. Yeah, that being in the moment is such a sort of crucial kind of way to sort of foster a positive kind of mental attitude isn't yeah. it but it's really hard as well isn't it it's so hard not to project ahead yeah. do you sort of have any kind of go-tos that help you keep in the moment do you find does it come naturally to you and easily um again I don't I don't think I've ever thought about it too much and I think now mm. there's such a focus on mental health and that's very positive and it's a good thing um and you know, thinking about other people's mental health, your own mental health, looking after yourself. But but I'm not the generation. We didn't grow up being told that and taught that. We're just a bit of yeah. a get on with it generation. And my parents very much were crack on and just get on with it. Um, and Eamon yeah. always laughs at me. He said, I've got, that's my expression. He goes, come on, crack on. I'm always going like, right, come on, crack on. And I'd never realised I did that until he pointed it out to me. So I think... That's my way of dealing with things because I think if I think too deeply about it, then I could get upset, I could get worried. Um, so it might, yeah. you know, maybe some people would look at that as a negative thing and say, oh, well, you're just, you know, you're pushing things aside, you're pushing things away. But I think we all have our own coping mechanisms, don't we? And that's yeah. probably mine. I think I just have to take a deep breath and say, right, what needs doing here? Let's do it. What can we do to make this situation better? Um, happier, sort it out and move on. So, yeah, I suppose that is my way of dealing with my own mental health. Do you think you've always been like that? I think I have. I mean, I look back, you know, my sister and I both went to boarding school when we were quite young. And I think that gives you a just pull your socks up and get on with it because you have to. Mm. And, you know, I was only eight when I went to boarding school, which now when I say that seems so terribly young, but all the kids I knew were doing that because we were all army kids, you know, and we all went to boarding school. Yeah. Most of us went to boarding school. And when we went to the airport, there were loads of kids. It wasn't just us. And so you had to get on with people, you know, dormitories. And so I'm quite good at being in a situation and just dealing with that situation, just looking about me and going, right, who's here? What do I need to do? Who do I need to speak to? Smile, don't smile, sit down, stand up deal with it and that's not to say yeah. that's not to say inside I'm nervous or thinking I don't know anybody here or um or I'm worried or I'm frightened but it's just you know we'll deal with that and and mm. in the way that I deal with it which is just to get on with it and being quite self-sufficient it's interesting that it could go back to those because eight is very young as well isn't it to go to boarding school 
It's very young. And when I think about it now, I think, wow. And I, I do remember, you know, with, when Jack was young, sometimes I'd be tucking him into bed and thinking, oh, imagine now if he was going to boarding school, I'd be distraught. But you know, my parents did that because they thought that was the best thing for our education. That's what most yeah. people who sent their kids to school back in the UK, because my parents were always abroad, um, they thought they were doing the best for us. And, you know, you don't always get it right, do you? You don't know when you're parenting. You've got young children. No. You do things now and you think, well, I hope this is the right. Sorry, that's my dog. Oh, is that <laughs> Maggie? Maggie? I might have to open the door and no. let her in. <laughs> well, I quite want to see her. She's a rescue She's, dog, she isn't is. she? Let me see if I can get her. Hang on. Oh, gorgeous Maggie. <laughs> I see you going for your walks with her. She's not a great... Cuddler sit on your lap, dog. Oh, Maggie. So we just say oh, hello. Look at you. Hello, Rosie. Hello. Yes, hello. Hi, Maggie. Oh, she's licking your face. You know, you're, <laughs> inter- you're interrupting us. That's love. That's love. I know. Oh, I tell you, talk so about gorgeous. Do you know about stress beater? She wants to get down now. Yeah. It's this one. Um, and it was really Jackie wanted a dog and I put it off for so long. I was like, oh, I don't know. I don't really want a dog. And I was like, well, we'll see. I just lost that. We'll see. And he eventually got Maggie and oh, the best thing we ever did. I wish I'd done yeah. it ages before. I just adore her. And, you know, people say about how do you unwind or manage stress. Um, we were talking about it yesterday on Loose Women. I said, I'd go and walk my dog. Just seeing Maggie yeah. takes stress away. Literally, I see her and she's wagging her tail and she doesn't know what's going on with, you know, with my life. Well, they do. They're very intuitive dogs. But actually, you know, she's just wagging mm. her tail and happy to see me. And I walk. I, t- I take my phone, but I don't use it unless it's an emergency. Yeah. I take my phone with me and I just walk with Maggie. And that, for me, is the best stress beater. You know, fresh air. Mm. I don't care if it's raining, windy, sunny. Just watching her sniffing about and wagging her tail. And that's what I do. That's my kind of chill yeah. time. And they help you be in the moment as well, don't they? Because, like, you're just there walking the dog. Yeah. You have to be alert. Yeah. You're kind of, you're there in the moment with them because that's all they've got yeah. is that moment. Yeah. I saw um, I saw something on Instagram and it said, having your dog is just a chapter in your life. It's their whole life. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Oh, that's so true. Oh, wow. I know. That is so true because you're not going to have them forever. And Maggie's... And it is such yeah, a special relationship. Yeah, and Maggie's nearly 14. And she's, you know, mm. she's going a bit white around the face and she's got a bit oh. of arthritis. And I literally, Rosie, I can't even think about it because I will oh, be... Don't broken yeah but well that's another reason to stay in the moment yes, isn't it actually, as well I'm, I'm the same I've got two cats yeah. actually and one of ours is an elderly cat and we got a, a kitten last yeah. year so we've got a one-year-old and a nearly 13 year old and similarly our cat Archie is getting old and a bit sort of loose yeah. around the belly and white <laughs> the feet I know the feeling <laughs> but, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> oh don't rubbish you it's look true. so glamorous as ever <laughs> thank you Ruth. Um, and uh but you know it has been scientifically proven about that cortisol levels drop so the stress hormone does physically drop in us when you're stroking a pet i take maggie often um with my mum you know either my mum comes here or i go there um and she's in assisted living she's literally around the corner we can walk to it um and my mum loves maggie and maggie loves my mum but also the other residents when i take her in so many of them a lot of them have got Mm. to mention will go like oh 
oh, look at that, your dog. And can I stroke her? And Maggie's a very gentle dog. So she doesn't mind people stroking her. And I can just see yeah. the joy that she brings. And they often have um, people that come there with, you know, with animals. And they have all sorts, chickens and hamsters. And, you know, they yeah. had a little, they brought a little kind of miniature pony in in the summer and had it in the garden. And just animals, animals make people happy. And company in old age as well, you know, it, it really is so important. It really helps beat loneliness. Yeah. And also you, it gives you a purpose to get up in the morning. You know, if you, if you were on your own, an animal relies on you to be fed and let out and walked. Yeah. And so that gives you a focus as well, that you just have to get yourself yeah. up and, you know, sort the pets out. And I think that's, yeah. that's very healthy for people. Yes, yeah, you're right. Now we'll get on to talking about your mum because I've been thinking a lot about the concept of resetting at the moment, which is when you go through different life stages and you have to kind of keep reinventing yourself. Mm. And I think midlife especially is full of various resetting junctures. Um, it can be a huge time of reset for many women. So I thought we could talk about some of those moments today um, because I'm projecting 10 years ahead. And quite frankly, Ruth, you seem to be doing it really well. So I want to know some of your tips. Well, it's interesting when you say, even when you say the word midlife, I think midlife crisis, that's that expression that mm. always bandied about, isn't it? Oh, he's having a midlife crisis. She's having a midlife crisis. And when, even when you say midlife, when you're young, you you just think you can't ever think of yourself being older, can you? Much older, and now here I am. I'm 63, and I go oh, midlife. I'm probably over midlife. You know what do you mean? What is midlife? Is it sort of 40 to 70? You're deaf. Yeah, I see you as in midlife. You're not elderly. I don't feel elderly. No, sometimes you're I definitely do. not. The knees feel a bit elderly <laughs> going up the stairs sometimes. No, I don't feel elderly. But sometimes I said, when things are brought into sharp focus that you go, oh, oh God, yeah, I'm 63. Yeah. And so recently I had a meeting with my financial planner person and, and we're talking about pensions. And suddenly I was really interested. So over the years, you know, my dad always told me to have a pension. My dad was very, you know, things like you must have a pension. Yeah. You just yawn, don't you? Roll your eyes and go, oh, yeah, all right, dad. Yeah. Um, and now I'm very interested in my pension because I've seen my things with my parents where we're looking at their financial situation. They both ended up having to be in, in um, having care in later life. Mm -hmm. So suddenly you start thinking about yourself and thinking, oh, well, I'm sure I don't want Jack looking after me. He's only 21. And, you know, so all those things that it makes, some, half of it worries me. And I think, oh my God, I hope I've got enough to live. And, and half of it makes me laugh because I think, look at you. Yeah. Look at you having a meeting about your pension. I know. <laughs> well, thinking about it, you know, the retirement age, you know, per se, although it doesn't really mean that to everybody, you know, is kind of 64, 65. You're almost there. Do you think of retiring no, from work no, or not? No. No. Not because not uh, because I'm a workaholic, I'm not, but because I love what I do. And yeah. I enjoy work. I'm healthy enough touch wood to keep working and I love it. So it's not, a, I'm not being a martyr and kind of like, no, I have to work until, you know, the bitter end. Mm. Um, it's because I love it. And I look at other people, particularly women who are still working, still have careers, still loving what they do. Um, they inspire me. And I hope that there are women, you've just said you're younger than me, that you look ahead and go, oh, actually 60s, not that scary then because Ruth's still there and she's still doing her thing. And I look at, you know, Janet Street Porter is a, 
person that I quote a lot because I find her extraordinary how you know everything she does loose women she writes columns I mean she's so clever um she's got such an interesting life she travels she's full of ideas um so I look at people like her ahead of me yeah going no there's lots mm-hmm. of life life in the old dog yet as they say you know and I think you've just got to find things in life that you enjoy doing you know that expression you'll never work a day in your life if you enjoy what you do mm-hmm. Um, and I'm very lucky that, I mean, I kind of fell into this career. I didn't choose it. Um, so, you know, strange way I came about, came into television. But once I was in it, I absolutely loved it and embraced every aspect of it. And the same, you mentioned, you know, my fashion range with QVC. That came into my life in my late 50s. And I didn't see it coming. It was left to field. And then I was like, wow. Yes, please. I would love to do that. And now I love it and, you know, work very yeah. hard at it, but do love it. So you never know what's coming either. No, and I find you so inspiring because you have reinvented your whole career, really, in recent years in terms of the QVC, which has really taken off. And I want to go into all of that as well about how you go about designing the clothes. Ruth was wearing this gorgeous pleather jacket when I saw you for lunch yeah. the other week and it was stunning and I said you know where's that from and um and that was one from your range so it seems that you get to create the clothes that mm. you want to wear which is literally the dream job it is the dream and every time I'm doing it I think oh my gosh I'm so lucky to be doing this and I yeah. pinch myself sometimes because I really really love it and I'm learning so much there's a lot to learn and I know that people initially um, maybe people listening to this who don't know that I've got this clothing range think, oh, yes, well, they probably just bring her clothes and say, do you like this jumper? And I go, yes, and they put my name on it. And it's not like that at all. And QVC didn't want it to be like that, and neither did I. It was a true collaboration. And so I'm in no way a designer where I sit sketching gorgeous pictures of clothes at all, can't draw to save my life. But I know what I want, and I know what I don't want. And that's because of my yeah. age. So essentially... I am designing things for myself, which translates to so many women of my age. I mean, we have quite a lot of of younger women buying my clothes, which is very flattering, actually. Designing for myself is I'm taking into account all the things that I find difficult as a 60-plus-year-old woman with fashion and clothes and dressing. And, you know, you want to look stylish, but I need to be comfortable. I want things that stretch. I don't want sleeveless things. I want, don't want things above no. my knee. I don't want things that are yeah. too tight. And so it was all those things. So, so the collaboration is that I, they have their own in-house design team. And I work with now one particular designer that we've, we've worked together for years now, that we discuss what should we have, what do we need in the range for this season? And I say, well, I'd really like to do a raincoat, but I don't want it with loads of flaps and I want it this length and I don't want that thing on the cuff that always catches when I'm driving. So it's all those things, those experiences of life and clothes and fashion that I'm addressing with my own range. And touch wood, it seems to be working because there are so many other women. And we've now built this wonderful community at QVC who join in our shows. I've got my fantastic co-presenter who's become a great friend, Jackie. We've got a great show. It's great fun. People watch even if they're not shopping now because we include them. And then you mentioned the Feeling Fabulous event. That was born from that. So many people who join in our show, email us in, send us pictures of them wearing my clothes. We have a laugh. And then I thought, wouldn't this be nice, actually, to have an event where people can come and meet each other? 
and we can have some fashion, some um, beauty, some speakers. And that's what we did. And it was very scary. But you said, you know, things come, opportunities come when sometimes you don't know they're coming. And then this idea yeah. was mooted and I was like, oh, that sounds good. But it had my name on it. It was, you know, feeling fabulous with Ruth. And I was like, gosh, if this goes wrong, this has got my name on it. This will be bad. If people come and go, what a terrible event. It was so boring. But again, with the event... I knew what I wanted from going to events myself. So I said, it has to be air conditioned. Let's not oversell tickets. We don't want loads of menopausal women shuffling around in a hot room because they'll go home. Yeah. You know, I want this. I want that kind of fashion. I want this kind of retail and these kind of speakers. And most of the speakers were my friends that I've met over the years doing this job. So we had Anton, had Vanessa Feltz, I had Jo Malone, who you know very well, and... Rylan, you know, our TV son. Oh, what fun. And yeah, Lucy Alexander, who hosted the beauty stage, is a great friend of mine. Angelica Bell hosts. So it was just, I literally reached out to my mates and said, I'm doing this event. Would you come? Would you join in? Would you help me? And they all said yes. I was very, very lucky. Um, And we had a great time. And we're hopefully doing another one next year. Um, Oh, that was my next question. That's good. We didn't do one straight away because then sadly... The war in Ukraine happened, cost of living crisis happened, you know, energy prices. And I just thought this is not the right time now to go out and say, oh, do you want to buy a ticket for my event? It just didn't feel, it just didn't feel right. So we've parked it, but it's only parked. Mm -hmm. And so we're hoping we'll do another one. I hope you'll come. But we had the best time. It was two days and it was so many wonderful women I met And again, different age groups. And it was lovely generationally to see. It was often daughters with their mums and their grandmothers and saying, oh, it was mum's birthday. We got her this for her birthday. We're all having a day out. And that's what I wanted it to be, was a day out to have fun. They're all having a little drink, a little bit of retail, watching a fashion show, listening, watching some beauty demonstrations. We had a wellness area where people were doing demos and it was just fantastic and I just stood at the end on our last day and everyone congregated for our kind of last show and I had Rylan and Eamon came on and at the end I cried because as I everyone clapped I got this wave of emotion because there were all these women I was looking at this sea of women predominantly my age group and going wow this is extraordinary and this has got my name on it and they all seem to have had a great time and they were all smiling. And so it was the most unbelievable feeling for me mm. to think, yeah, I did I did this. I mean, obviously, with lots of yeah. help and all my friends and all the organisation and QVC yeah. were my main uh, sponsor. But we did it. And, you know, if yeah. you just said to me a few, five years ago, oh, maybe one day you'll do a big two-day event in London with 5,000 people, I'd be like, totally ridiculous. So, well, you know. it is emotional for women, isn't it? When you finally feel seen and heard because, you know, women age 50 plus traditionally haven't been, no. you know, greatly supported by our society. So what you did is actually really seismic to create something for them that was so special and on tailored for them. Yeah, that was the feeling on the day because I walked around a lot and met people um, and the, the the general feeling that the words that I kept echoing in my head, they were, thank you, thank you, this is so lovely. There's nothing like this for us. 
Yeah. And the nothing like this for us, I, I took as there's nothing like this for women of our age group. So there are lots of, you know, you might be fashion shows and there might be beauty things, but not, it was, it was all contained and it was all aimed at women who were 50 plus, essentially. Yeah. And, and when they said to me, you know, well, thank you, there's nothing like this for us, that gave me such a feeling of pleasure and achievement and determination to think, well, there flipping should be things like this for us, shouldn't Absolutely. there? Absolutely. Yeah. Do you think we are seeing greater visibility of women yeah. in their 50s and 60s in the media? I do. Are they having a bit of a moment? Yes. I, there's still a long way to go, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, but yes. Mm-hmm. And I think there are lots of pioneers. I mentioned Janet Street Porter again, but, you know, Janet's and you, still there. Thank being you. being one of them. Thank you. Yeah. Gloria Hunnaford, Absolutely. who's 80 now, working, still, still looking amazingly glamorous, on Loose Women, yeah. um, doing her shows, amazing. I think people like Davina McCall for the menopause advocates, Mariella Fostrup. Yeah. I mean, so many mm-hmm. women now who discuss menopause. I'm sorry if I've left any of you out because there are so many fantastic people. Well, yourself. Yeah, Lisa you, Snowden. Lisa Snowden, exactly. Yeah. Thank you. I'm very passionate about that. I mean, I at last actually feel I'm turning 50 soon and I feel actually excited about it from I'm not you know really quite dreading it sort of 10 years ago thinking god I can't imagine that and now I see so many women out there who have reinvented their life just like you to be properly in tune with their authentic selves and loving life and looking amazing being fit and healthy that I'm actually really excited about what this next chapter Mm. can hold well it's good I think that's really good for we had, funnily, I actually literally had this discussion at Loose Women yesterday with some of our team. So our team are a lot younger than most of us who are on the screen. And I love that. I love being around young people and hearing yeah. all their ideas and their views. And we talk about the menopause a lot, whether it's on screen or just in our meeting. I mean, our meetings are like the best thing. It's like therapy. We had yeah. we had Sally Diniver from Coronation Street who was on with us oh, yesterday. Oh, yeah, I love Sally. Her first time as a panellist. She's been obviously a guest. And she said after at the end of our meeting, oh, I love this meeting. She went, this is such fun because we talk about everything, anything, yeah. each other, what's going on in our lives. Now, that doesn't always get onto the screen. That's literally us as a group of women. As we come in in the morning, one of us will go, oh, I'm so angry. Such and such happened. Or oh, never guess what happened to me. We talk about something on the TV. But So we talk about the menopause a lot. And one of the we had two um, producers yesterday, young women, younger women, and one of them said, oh, it's so good to hear you all talking because my mum, she said, never used to talk about things like this to me. And she said, and I'm now not so frightened about it. Just what you've said. So I think, wow, if that's what we're doing, because I never heard my mother talk about the menopause. You know, Eamon's mum said, don't remember having it. She was very like, what, what? Yeah. They didn't talk about it. Well, that's what you did. It was the change, wasn't it? And it was kind of seen as this terrible thing that was just sort of brushed. Or or there was that stiff upper lip kind of, well, you just get on with it. And, you know, and you'd feel really dramatic for mentioning that you might be suffering Mm. with symptoms because that was the products of the time. So it is amazing. And as you say, inspiring the younger generations, because we all need to be part of this conversation to know what's going to happen. But that's the thing, isn't it? It's like pay it back, that kind of, you know, help people, especially women, younger women behind you, because we've all had a helping hand in our careers and our lives. And you remember those people, don't you? You absolutely remember those people that gave you a break. And I love doing that. I love helping other people in my industry when I can. 
But when she said that, she said, oh, it's so good to hear because I'm not so worried about it. I was like, that's amazing. That's what we need. So I think, going back to your question, yes, I think women are more visible in the media now. More and more women are talking about not just menopause, but just life in general when you get into your 50s and 60s, that life doesn't stop. Yeah, when you're young. Yeah, and it's not such a mystery. No, and it's not awful. And everyone thinks it's going to be awful. And it's very exciting. Mm. And there's, you know, it's a change. The menopause is a big change in your body. But also it can be a beginning. It can be an awakening, like a rebirthing almost. Because you think, well, yes, this time of, you know, having children and things has it's done now but there's whole new life out there of things that I could be exploring and I know lots of my friends that you know they're suddenly exploring new things whether it's you know starting to learn kickboxing or because you've got time your children are leaving home which is hard emptiness yeah Um, we'll go into that as well it's a big reset moment yeah you'll have that well that's come it's a big reset moment but then you have to try Mm -hmm. and look ahead and think yeah but I can do other things now I've got some time for myself and exploring other things reconnecting friendships spending more time with friends maybe that you felt a bit neglected so it's an interesting time as well as a you know a time of kind of hot flushes and boring things well, it's so good to hear about the positive stories because often, you know, when you look online or on social media, we hear the kind of terror stories, yeah. you know, and some and for some people, perimenopause and menopause is really debilitating. Very. I mean, it's why we started our menopause workplace pledge yeah. at Hello to support women in the workplace because we've the stats simply show that women of menopause kind of age are dropping out of the workplace. A lot. I mean, and it's that high, isn't is it? often related to symptoms. I mean, I know myself suffering from anxiety as I'd never experienced before you know made me finally realize that this was probably perimenopause yeah. and suddenly you join the dots so sharing our stories and greater awareness is so powerful because other women will hear that and think hang on a minute that's that's me yeah. and w- when I heard the simple tip which was to call the doctor but instead of just booking an appointment with whoever was available, when you phone the surgery, ask if you could get book an appointment with the resident or the practice's resident menopause expert. That was a game changer. And, you know, I heard that from, I think that was from Davina yeah. speaking about the menopause. And it was just such a simple tip, you know, that meant I could then get the support that I needed rather than, you know, not actually managing to see anybody that was really you know informed in this area well we had um, a menopause when sally jennifer was on we were discussing early menopause brought on following um, breast cancer and that's an area that we haven't discussed on loose women before we talk about menopause a lot so we had sally we also had brenda edwards and that's something i was like wow i never thought about that you know 45 years old having to have chemotherapy and then early menopause onset and we had so many people getting in touch so i was yeah and it was another area and it's such a it's such a wide subject and the Mm. um menopause exercise was a professor who was on was a friend of Sally's actually, but had helped treat her. Um, and she said, this is an area that is not discussed either. So each time we discuss something, if there's one woman sitting at home going, oh, yeah. that's me, or I didn't realise that, or, you know, she was saying, we were talking about not HRT doesn't suit everybody. So no. she was talking about alternatives. So we have to keep the conversation going. There are times sometimes when I think, I don't want to drone on about it because then it becomes, I go, I don't want to be identified by menopause. 
I don't want to be defined mm. by the menopause. I go, mm-hmm. well, you're all going to have it. And it's very yeah. different for so many women, you know, and that's why there's no one size fits all remedy for it. So that's why it's good no. to talk because some people say, well, I take evening primrose or, oh, that didn't work for you, but I used this. Um, I've just bought yeah. a friend of mine actually from QVC. It's a woman on QVC and she does a scarf called the cooling scarf. I don't know what the fabric is. It's like a miracle. It feels cool. Wow. And you have it in a, and it's a pretty, it was like a egg, duck egg blue scarf. Um, yeah. And I bought that for several friends now that you, if you were, especially if you're abroad or traveling yeah. and you think oh, I'm a bit hot, it, you take it out and it literally feels cool around your neck. It's like fantastic. So all those little How things. great. I saw that in QC. Yeah. I've passed that on to friends. Hopefully they'll tell other people about it. Yeah. Any tips and things. So I think everybody who's in the media you know, being very vocal about it are, are wonderful. You know, we do it on Lucy. Yeah. But anybody, even just amongst your friendship group, you know, say, I think, am I going through the menopause? Am I, aren't I? Don't yes. know. Go to the doctor, don't put up with it and just explore yeah. all your options. Yeah, you're right, because it can feel like quite overwhelming, can't yeah. it? There are so many symptoms and, and other women sail through it, you know, with barely any yeah. symptoms. Yeah. And that's normal too. Yeah, very lucky. Um, so for we them. shouldn't be afraid of it. No. For me it was brain fog as well. And actually I do sort of see my kind of late forties as um the before HRT and the after HRT, because for me it has worked mm. and it was just like after sort of three months of trying um, estrogel and progesterone tablets, it was like I put on some glasses and the brain fog just sort of went. Life went mm. back into focus. Yeah, which um, is great. So that was which a game fantastic. changer for me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but I for didn't... somebody else, it might be insomnia or the... But yeah. this is the thing. And the more we talk about it, I didn't have anxiety as far, you know, not not pronounced mm. that I know, but I had extreme kind of, um, when I say fatigue, it wasn't sleepiness. I just felt I'd lost my mojo. I just felt flat. Right. I just felt a bit yeah. flat. And even when mm. things were good, I was just a bit like, a bit flat. Yeah. Um, and then I, it was the fl- it was the hot, the heat. And I remember my mum was here, it was Christmas, and I had my mum here. And I remember going to the back door flinging the back door open and standing in my T-shirt, going like this. Oh, God. And then I suddenly had this flashback of my mum doing exactly the same thing and us, my sister and I wow. going, Mum, shut the window, it's freezing. And she was red-cheeked and kind of doing this with her blouse. And so I had, wow. it, was like a, it was like a moment, a light bulb moment. And I was like, oh, I wonder if this is, this oh, is it. this is it, the heat. And yeah. I remember that was on a, a phone call and it was a work call. And I was talking on the phone and suddenly I felt like somebody had put a blow heater up my skirt or whatever I was wearing at the time. I just felt this yeah. heat coming from probably inside like a furnace and I could feel it coming yeah. up my body. And I was talking away going, absolutely, yeah, I think we should do that, being very businesslike. And this yeah. heat kept coming and coming and it was like came right up into my face and I felt a bit funny and I was trying to do the call and got through the call and I was like wow put the phone down eventually and I was like what the hell was that then I thought now I need to go I need to go and get checked and at that point I think it was peri they did the blood test and it was perimenopause Mm -hmm. anyway eventually so I I don't remember having anxiety I had the feeling very flat and I had the flushes didn't really have brain fog that I remember didn't really have insomnia apart from 
the heat. So it wasn't insomnia, I can't sleep. Mm. It was like waking up going, I'm so hot, throwing the duvet off, turning the pillow over. And then literally five, it felt like five minutes later, I was cold, pulling the duvet back on. And then literally felt like five minutes later. So what I had was interrupted sleep. So I could get to sleep. Yeah. And then that makes you tired. So all those things. Then I hear other people. Somebody told me recently, um, when we were talking about it on Loose Women, a lot of the calls and questions coming in was gums and teeth, like people's teeth, gums, you know, feeling soft. Yeah, I've heard of that as well. I hadn't heard that. And osteoporosis as well, obviously, you know, bone density changes. Did you take anything to support yourself during perimenopause? Yeah, so eventually I went to, uh, I went privately and I'm very fortunate I can afford to do that. So I have the bio-identical hormones. So instead of having Mm -hmm. HRT, which is a, you know, it's a wonderful thing but it's a little bit of a one size fits all mm-hmm. this is almost like having you know a kind of handmade pair of shoes because they tailor it yes. exactly to your needs so when they did the blood test and i said i'd been feeling very flat my testosterone was so low they said they could only just about record it and he said well no wonder wow. you're feeling flat because your testosterone levels are very low so i take estrogen progesterone and testosterone and i swear to right. god within about three days of taking this wow i felt that it, like you said you felt like you put the glasses on i felt like yeah. i'd shed something a big heavy your cape. mojo was back i felt like yes. I had this big heavy cape on and I, I threw it off and was like oh that's better i'm back i still take wow. them i'm still on them and i'm Amazing. almost almost nervous not to take them anymore. i go twice a year to mm. the specialist and he does the bloods and then and they adjust it. So then he might say, Oh, actually you don't need as much testosterone. I can't even say it, testosterone. But maybe you yeah. need a bit more of this. So they mm-hmm. monitor me, right, basically. Yeah. That does sound really good. And that's something that, you know, you could go to your doctor and then ask them to refer you to a hormone specialist if you want to go down that route to get the bioidentical. I have wondered about that as well. And what about what does sort of exercise look like for you in midlife? What do you do to keep healthy? I should do more because I quite like exercise. But when I say exercise, I don't mean pounding away on a treadmill in the gym. That's not really for me. I've never been a kind of gym bunny um I love walking and so having the dog I've always liked walking mm. and my family were great yeah. my parents were great kind of like come on we're all going for a walk you know when you're young you think oh god bore off but but we did it <laughs> totally trying to get mine out yeah. for a walk on a Sunday yeah. it's like I'm torturing well I see that I mean I see moment. that on your Instagram and it looks lovely but I go I bet she's had to trouble to get them out yes. once they're out it's fine isn't it because when people yeah I'm totally young, it's yeah. always great Oh, we spent two hours building a den on Sunday. Perfect. And once they were out, I couldn't get them to yes. leave yeah. this wood in the end. I was like, okay, right, we've built the den yeah. now. Can we go? <laughs> so it's a wonderful thing to do. But the thing is with kids, they have far too many wonderful things at home, don't they? And the internet and yeah. Jack was a PlayStation well, yeah. boy. So to get him out was a nightmare. But once I did, so my, you know, my family were always walkers. And then, of course, having Maggie, that's become my thing. Um, and, and she walks very fast, Maggie, even though she's quite elderly now. But she's always been a speedy little walker so I can kind of power walk with her yeah um I've tried running I did couch to 5k which was a fantastic thing last summer I found it really difficult but the challenge was amazing and I did it but Mm -hmm. I didn't love running and the friends of mine who run Jackie Cabler who's my 
co-presenter at QVC being one of them. I mean, she's an ultra runner. She does like ultra marathons and things, but she loves it. And I can see when she she had an injury recently, it affects her mental health. Like she really mm. misses running. She needs running. I all the time yeah. I was doing couch to 5K, I kept thinking in a minute that loving running gene is going to kick in. Something's going to happen. Yeah. And I'm suddenly going to yes. go, oh, I love running. And I, it never did. I found it a struggle. No. Every single run I did, I didn't love it. I did it. I was very proud of myself at the end. I was like a beetroot, red face, sweating, panting. But then I'd go, great <laughs> a sense of achievement. So I'd go, God, I've just run 3K. Oh, I've run 4K. And eventually I did the five. And at the end of it, I sadly, I didn't have that kind of, right now I'm going to do a 10K and now it just didn't. I, I thought I've done that. Lovely. No. So I do yeah. like, when I say don't like the gym, I do like kind of weights. I like circuit training. So I have a friend who's a personal trainer and when I've got time, I'll get him over and he'll give me mm. a circuit. I did it um, before, I did Strictly because I needed yes. the stamina. So he said to me, right, you need to do circuits. We need to do, you know minute fast on that and then some skipping and and I love that because I find it's not boring um you're only Mm. you know when you're trying finding something really hard I could be on the rowing machine going really fast I'm gonna hate this I know it's only for a minute and then I can have a breather then I can do something else but my training regime I use the word very very (laughs) loosely is very hit and miss you know so I Mm. I'm not good at doing exercise in the evenings so I'm a morning person the trouble is all my jobs start early in the morning so I leave home. yeah it's hard isn't it I leave home at half six I'm not a get up at five o'clock and do exercise person because I get Mm. up wash my hair get ready for work listening to Mm. the news by the time I get home so if I'm on a loose women day I have to go, as soon as I get home, I have to literally put my trainers on and go, right, get out, go for the walk now or do your weights now. If I leave it, Mm. once 6pm comes, my brain is in relaxed evening mode. So I'm not very good. So I go in fits and starts. You know, I've got some time off coming up and then I'll go hell for leather. So I go, oh, great. So I'm in the gym and doing the walking. It doesn't last very long. So you know, the weight gain for me in menopause, and I've got a slightly underactive thyroid, mm-hmm. has been for me a big challenge because I've always kind of yeah. I've always kind of maintained a certain weight. I've never really had huge problems with weight gain. So I've been very lucky in my life. Mm. Um and I've always I like good food, so I eat well and I cook. Mm-hmm. But the weight gain and the shape change in menopause I've really struggled with. And I try really yeah. hard to go, don't be I vain. think a lot of women do. But it's still okay to feel that you're not the size that you were before, you know. Because, you know, everybody talks about, oh, body positivity and love yourself. But I go, yeah, but you know what? Sometimes I look in the mirror and I don't love myself. I look and I go, I've got no waist anymore. I've got thick, fat knees. I've thickened up, Mm -hmm. as my mum would say. And I don't love it. Well, I think a lot of women don't and feel conflicted at thinking, oh, I should be happy that I've put on these pounds. But I think you know what feels right for you and what feels healthy for you and it and it can get you down if you don't feel in that shape well it's I find it's a bit of a constant battle because I again I don't want it to overwhelm me I don't want it to consume Mm. me it's boring and I hate being with people that talk about their weight all the time and how many calories and everything I think I'll bore off Mm. because I love food I like wine I like gin I like having fun with my friends I like eating out so for me it's trying to balance that which is 
a yes. certain amount of acceptance, which is you are 63, Ruth, you're probably never going to be a size 12 again. So yeah. a certain amount of acceptance has to come with that, but also don't give up. So I'm not ready to just go, oh, to hell with it. I'll just wear elasticated trousers yeah. and it's fine. So I'm in the middle. <laughs> I can't see you doing that. Yeah. Well, I do have, a, I have elastic yeah. in all my clothes now, in my designs. I know, well, a bit of elastic yeah. is, is necessary. But you know, I'm not, yeah, I'm not ready but, just to say, oh, well, yes. I'm I'll just give up on everything. Thing. So I, it's this kind of constant fight. It's mm. me where going, come on, Ruth, come on, go get running, stop walking, do something, eat well. And then, yeah. and then five minutes later, I go, oh, to hell with it. I have a piece of cake and a gin and tonic. Yeah. You know? so. But it's so tied up in our mental health, though, isn't it? Because certainly for me, getting outside and going for my sort of half jog, half walks are just as good for my positivity, yeah. my kind of mental health, my ideas, my yeah. creativity, as well as making me feel good yeah. as well, because I've, you know, got my heart rate up. And yeah. I know that that, you know, makes me then look better and feel better and perform better in all areas of my life. When I think that's the thing of whenever you do it, you feel better. Yeah. You, you mostly mm-hmm. I would say I did so when you I was don't regret it no. do you so you struggle no. so when I was doing I, I realized actually with the couch to 5k which if anybody's listening and, you, and you've thought about it honestly try mm. it because I found I thought it was a really mm-hmm. clever you have your ear pods in and it just talks you through like walk okay now gentle jog okay stop now mm. talks you through and it encourages you so it was fantastic um but yeah. I realized with it most of that was getting me out of the house it's a mental thing yeah. because I realised once I started running, being able to run like 2K or whatever how many minutes, I thought, actually, Ruth, your body can do this. It's just your mind. So when I was actually mm. running, this side of my brain or whatever, this like little devil was going, I can't do this. I'm going to have to stop. I can't do it. Oh, I can't breathe. I can't do it. I can't do it. And this side was going, yes, you can. There's only another mm. 30 seconds. Just keep going. You can do this. And so I realised yeah. very quickly this is actually a mental challenge. It's don't give up. You can do it. Run to the next tree. Come on. It doesn't yes. matter to you. You know, and then when you've done it, you feel so smug and proud of yourself. And, you know, and then I actually found I ate better because I would do all that, which yeah. was a real challenge. Then when I came home, instead of going, oh, I'm going to have a great big piece of toast and mm. I didn't. <laughs> I was like, no, because I'm, yeah. a health, I'm a healthy, fit person now and I don't eat rubbish. So the two for me... And you don't want to undo all that no. goodness. And mm. in the mornings, I would get up and a friend of mine who's, who runs a lot, one of my best friends, she said to me, she gets up and always puts her running gear on, right? She said, now I might not go running till four o'clock that afternoon, but it's intention. And she said, yeah. so you're telling yourself, no, no, I am going running. I know I'm just going to put the washing in. I've just got to phone my mum and I've just got to do those emails, but I am going, oh, it's lunchtime. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to have my lunch, but I am going because I'm in my running gear. And she said, and then if it got to like six o'clock in the evening and she hadn't been, she said, I used to feel really ashamed of myself to have to take the running gear off so that was her motivation I thought that was very clever so I did that on the Mm. days I knew I was going to do my run I would get up and put my legging running leggings and top on straight away and then it was the get out of the house so I would do everything to not go so I'd go no no because I just must ring my mum and I must (laughs) just and I knew it was all diversion tactics because I was like you have to go come on you have to go and once I you know I dragged myself out of the door oh god 
And then once I did it, I felt so proud of myself and so good. I know. So I, I agree with you. I see you on your Instagram. And I think it doesn't matter if you're doing half running, half walking, walking, running, hopping. It doesn't it's matter. getting out. It's just getting out. It does. And I do a similar thing when leaving the exercise clothes out. I think that does make a huge difference. And you touched on there as well, like your internal voice, you know, how I think that's so key too. Mm. how we need to champion Mm. ourselves, you know, and say, right, you can do this and have that sort of mental pep talk inside. But also to allow yourself, I hate the word fail, but to also that I had the odd day when I would literally start it, run and go, I literally, Mm. no, no, I'm just no Not feeling it today. And I I think that's as empowering as challenge making yourself yeah. go come on yes you can I think you should be allowed to say no sorry not for me today yeah. I just know well, if your mind isn't there no. then you're not going to get the same out yeah. of it I mean I definitely I've had sessions like that yeah. where I've thought I'm just not into it and that's okay sometimes I will just you know have a slow stroll and I'll listen to a podcast mm. um, whereas other days I'm kind of firing all sins and I need that run yeah. to get some of that energy out you know or to really chew over a challenging situation that's been on my mind and yeah. nine out of ten times I will return home with a plan as well. Yes. or a solution yes. or a feeling that actually I can overcome this and it doesn't feel as bad anymore. Yeah. It can sort of re- reset your day really, can't it? Well, we were talking um, yesterday about there's a, an initiative um, in schools for children to write down how they're feeling, what their worries are, because by writing mm-hmm. them down and then sharing with either the teachers or parents or friends or whoever, guardians, um, helps them kind of make sense of why of what they're worried about and then we started talking on loose swimming so that's how our topics come about as adults like do you write things down do you and people call some people call it a worry journal other people yeah. say well it's just my diary and that was really interesting I don't do that but talking to some of the women and some of our producers they said oh yeah no I find if I write things down once it's on the page sometimes it's not as big a problem as I thought it was in my head mm. Colleen was saying her daughter writes things down before just before she goes to bed, things that she's maybe feeling a bit anxious about. Just write, mm. gets them on the page. And she'll by the out. morning, you know, she said it helps her sleep because she's not worrying, you know, it's not churning mm. over. So all these things are coping mechanisms, aren't they? So I'm a great to-do yeah. list person. Mm-hmm. In fact, look, I've got things to do today. Rosie. Yeah. <laughs> that's all that's oh, on there. But I've got love that. I've got tick. this. I've yeah. got these things to do. I'll tick you off in a minute. But I've got yes. these, I have these great big to-do lists. And it's really interesting yeah. how how something is the top of your to-do list one day, okay? And then you think, oh, I must get that. I've got to have that. I've got to get that done. And you don't. Yeah. And then the next day or two days, you add something and add something. And that thing that was really important is suddenly yes. number fifth on your it's list. It's gone. And then it You're drops so off right. your list. And you think, oh, actually, that wasn't as important as this one is no. today. So I think writing Absolutely. anything. And women, most of my friends are great list makers. And it also gives me great satisfaction to tick things. And if I've done something and didn't mm-hmm. have it on my list, I write it on the list and then tick it off. Even yeah, though I've done, me done it. too. <laughs> I always, I, I definitely am a list maker with yeah. work yeah. and I regularly used to do that, you know, putting the magazine together every week, you know, instead of a whole long list of empty pages that we had to fill, I would always write down the ones that were done, already yes. done and tick them off because it just puts you in a more yeah. positive mindset that you're getting somewhere. Yeah. I journal as well, but I do it on my phone in the notes do section you? on my yeah. phone. Yeah. And when I was going through sort of figuring out my career reinvention, um, 
I have a note called My Future and I would just write down the things that got me really excited, you know, the the kind of things that you were doing that make you jump out of bed in the morning so that I sort of built up this list of what I needed my future career, therefore, to look like. And it seemed so simple, but having it written down in one place, it then became really clear to me what I needed to do. And if I am having a wobbly day or feeling sort of worried about the future or anything, then I look back at this list and it keeps me back on track. That's interesting. Pulls me back to, no, these are the things I really care about and this is what I want to be doing. That's that's interesting, Um, yeah. So I think, yeah, power of journaling. It doesn't mean sitting and writing a massive long diary entry. I think you know, that's right. Actually, every day. that's what women would probably think. I haven't got time. Yeah, I've got time for that. Especially if you've got young but kids. But it's the odd note. Yeah, when it's in your head, just getting it down. Yeah. Now another reset moment that we touched upon earlier, but to come back to is empty nest syndrome. And I'm sure there are lots of women across the land and men too, who have seen their beloved offspring head out into the world to university and are adjusting to this. Now, I know that you've been through this with Jack when he started uni, and I can't believe he's now graduated. Do you recall that time? Oh, yes. I remember, you know, preparing him to go, and it was like building house, you know, so I was going, right, so you need duvet, so all that, that's me very like, what needs done? Come on. Okay, so we need to get this, 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 this. So that bit of it, I was very good at. I was like, okay, so we've got pans, and you'll need this, and things he didn't even really know he needed, but he did. And all that and getting in matching bedding. And so it was all like fluffing about. And then the day came, you know, packing up the car and off we drove to Manchester. And then it was during COVID. So I only one of us was allowed to go in. Oh wow. So that was and it was me. So Eamon was sitting out on the bench (laughs) outside and I was pushing all this stuff. He was on the seventh floor, but anyway. And then I the moment it came to for us to leave. And we came down into the reception. So Eamon then was allowed in, but not up to the room. And I remember thinking, I looked at Jack and I could see his eyes were getting a bit wet. And I thought, right, let's not prolong this. We can't prolong this. And he doesn't want to be embarrassed. He doesn't want us weeping all over him. So I went, all right then, darling. And I could hardly look at him. You know, one of those, I went, all right, love. So, okay, hug, hug. Well, dad and I better get off. And Eamon gave him like a big tight squeeze. And we all had a bit of a tight (laughs) squeeze. Yeah. And then he went, yeah, okay. And I said, all right, well, we'll call you. He was like, yeah, yeah. And off we went. And there was a big glass front to this building. And I remember Eamon was behind me. And I remember thinking, don't cry, don't cry, because he can probably still see you through the window. And I just kind of, you know, half turned and waved, trying to smile. And we got round the corner. And I turned to Eamon, and he was already crying. And we both went, I know. Even now, look at even now, it makes it makes me go a bit as well. Just thinking of that, and did you realise? Did it feel like this is a watershed moment? There's my child has gone. Yeah, I mean, did it got into the car? So we both cried and got into the car and kind of held hands and pulled ourselves together. And then as we came out of the car park, I knew knew what floor he was on and I was looking up and I just saw this hand out of the window doing this. And then that set me off again and I was sobbing. (laughs) And then he texted and then he texted me and he just said, don't worry about me. I'm going to be fine. And I went, we know you'll be fine. Of course you'll be fine. And that was it. So that bit was horrible, the dropping off. And then I would say that first week of not having him at home literally felt like part of my heart had been ripped Mm. out. 
God, look at me, Rosie. Set me oh, off damn. now. You're set me off. It's like I'm already sort <laughs> yeah, but it's all good. Yeah, thinking. Yeah, I know. Well, it's, it's all that's good. the thing. It's conflicting yeah. emotions, isn't yeah. it? Because you, who doesn't want their child to go off and yeah. be happy and secure exactly. about it? That means you've done a great yes. job. As so you go pat yourself on the back. But that, yeah, it'd be that worse week, if they didn't want to. I, yeah, I had to. I remember I kept his bedroom door shut. I remember coming home and going into his bedroom and crying. And like getting hold of the pillow, and I could smell him on the pillow and cry, have a good old cry, and then shutting oh. the door. And then that first week was horrendous because I was just so used to having him around. And half the time they don't talk to you. You know what I mean? We always moan about our teenagers. Well, I don't know yeah. why I'm here. You never bloody talk to me anyway. I know. I just like your slave. <laughs> no, 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 no. And then yes. when they're gone, you miss making them breakfast and you miss picking up I their know. blazer off the floor and you miss their big trainers in the hall that used to drive you mad and so I had to keep the door closed and I used to have to kind of pretend to myself that he was kind of still around because half the time he was either up in his room on the playstation or in his bedroom talking to his mates or out so I kind of fooled myself that he was still around however the good part but the good part is I did that for about a week it was almost like a grieving process you know a lot of my friends were going through the same thing so we would talk he didn't phone me at all which was a killer, <laughs> killer. Yeah, but, but then also good because it meant he yes. was having fun. And my um, best friend, her son's a year, who's my godson, her son, he's a year ahead of Jack. And she said to me, do you remember Charlie did that to me? He didn't phone me. And I said, yes, I do. And I remember you were distraught too. And she said, well, this is my theory with boys, particularly and mothers. She said, I think that that is them cutting the apron string for you because they, they're like, look, you know, you don't want to cut it because you're my mum. You don't want to cut the apron string. Yes. I'm like, no, don't go. But he, she said, it's like them cutting the apron string. And what hurt her and me more, and she said, yes, do you remember Charlie did that? On day three, and I hadn't heard from Jack, I was texting, and he would do the odd, like, yeah, I'm fine, but no phone call. Came in from work, was talking to Eamon, and he said, oh, yeah, something, something. Jack said something or other. And I went, oh, you've spoken to Jack? And he went, yeah, yeah, I've spoken to him an hour ago. I said, Oh, did you phone him? He went, no, he phoned me. Well, Rosie, it was like a dagger in my heart. <laughs> oh, I was gosh. Like, he phoned you? And he went, yeah, yeah. And I went, is he all right? He went, yeah, he's fine. What did you talk about? He said, we're talking about football. Right. So then, <laughs> back to my friend, she went, because he knows when he rings his dad, his dad just goes, you're right, son. Do you need any money? Did you see United last night? From me, she said, if he phones you, you're going to go, so have you found out? Did you yeah. try to, to use the washing machine? Did you use the thing? <laughs> have you taken those vitamins, tablets I gave you? Mumming, 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 mumming. And I thought, yes. oh, she's so right. And so when he did phone me, probably it's a week, he just phoned me out of the blue. I had to try so hard not to say all those things. And I just went, yeah. oh, hi, love. And he, I said, you're right. He says, yeah, I'm just going to get my hair cut. And I was like, good, good. How's it going? He's like, yeah, yeah. And the whole time I wanted to go, so have you, did you try to use the washing yeah. machine? Yes. Have, you changed, you have you changed? Have you changed? Did you cook a meal? Yeah. You know, all that stuff yeah. I put in the freezer for you. And I was like, oh. no, don't say it, don't say it. And he was just very casually chatting. He was like, yeah, it's fine. And they were kind of in lockdown. So it was all a bit odd for them, but still, mm. a, still an amazing experience. That I would say to any of you, for mothers, mm. 
they and boys particularly I'm not saying mothers and girls wouldn't do that but I thought that was a very interesting theory when she said he's Jack's just cutting your apron string and then once he'd done that we got over that first week and once he'd phoned me and he realized I wasn't going have you changed your sheets have you done this yeah then we were fine so it was and then it's it's a lovely kind of um time of right okay Eamon and I could just go out and do what we like now or we can you know we don't have to think well what's Jack doing is Jack there and then when they come home it's wonderful and then you have that similar experience when they leave again but each time it gets better so every time he came home for a holiday then he was back to uni I still have that pang of like oh no he's going again and I still have it he's been home very recently and it was with his girlfriend yeah. and, you know, oh, he's lovely. having this. And he, we look at him now and I go, he's such a lovely young man and he's doing well. He's got a lovely girlfriend and we're very proud yeah. of him. And then I think well, we should be proud of ourselves because we have created this that lovely... parenting tick. It, although my mum always, always said to me, you never it, worry, stop worrying about your children. And no. I always remember that, you know, whenever, when I was always, even now, if I go anywhere, if I tell my mum I'm going somewhere, I always phone her to say I'm there and I'm 63 and mm. she's 91 because she said, you never stop worrying about your children. I no. always, that always stuck with me. Yeah. And I, I think that's another really good tip there as well about that getting out of critical parenting mode. Yeah. Sort of being almost like the friend to the, I mean, you're still a parent, yeah. you're never going to be the friend, but like, yeah, not being so all over them yes. in that mothering yes. kind of or parenting way yeah. can actually really help yeah. to boost your relationship as it moves into the and next also, chapter. And also, you look at your children and you'll know from your, your own childhood and things that with my parents, there were certain things I went to my mum with and there are certain things I went to my mm. dad about and I see that with Jack you know if he wants to talk about work and things and football and problem solving he goes to his dad if he wants to talk about relationships yeah. he'd fallen out with a friend what should he do about that he came to me and that you should yeah. never you should never kind of think oh why has he not come to me about that and why no. because it's just what we all do you look at people and think I need this from my dad today and yeah. I need this from my mum and when they do come to you and ask um, for your help in a way it's a lovely feeling because it's taken you yeah. out of that have you done your homework why haven't you picked up your blazer yes. <laughs> um, you know sometimes you bore yourself <laughs> with it don't you but when they're yeah. as an adult he's an adult he's a man when he then comes and mm. goes mom can I ask you something I've just got a problem with this it's such a wonderful feeling I go oh he's actually asking me my opinion now rather than me just telling him what to do he's asking my opinion and it's such a lovely feeling so all these different phases in parenting um, and then you have to accept that they are adults now they've got their own opinions their own lives but when they do come to you for help it's just wonderful Mm. And Jack may well f- be following in your both of your footsteps. Well, he did, he, he did yeah. broadcast journalism, yeah. didn't he? And um, he's working at the moment. Um, so I don't know what he'll end up doing. I mean, it was in. I think he was reticent about saying that he wanted to do journalism because I think he thought, you know, people will think, oh, nepotism, mm. nepo babies, blah blah. But actually, he's very creative. He's a very creative person. Mm. So I think he'll do well whatever he chooses to do. And. I always said to him, and I remember when he, when he went to university, I said, Jack, you know, you're very young and you've chosen this degree. I said, if in a month or six months or even in next year or the year after, you suddenly think, actually, I don't think this is for me. Never be afraid to say that to us. No. There's nothing, you know, you're young, 
you've got your whole life ahead of you. You can mm. do whatever you like. Don't be stuck in something because you think, oh, I've made yeah. this choice now to be a journalist. If you suddenly decide it's not for you and you might want to be a carpenter, just say it yes. and do it. That's true. I do think Gen Z, you know, are kind of leading the way with that kind mm. of more portfolio career. There's less that feeling that perhaps we had when we were going into careers that you had to choose your career yeah. and that was going to be what you were, which yeah. is a huge daunting prospect, yeah. isn't it? Because you changed so much as a person. I had you no idea. Your working yeah. life. I had no idea. Yeah. I was a very directionless teenager, which is probably why mm. with Jack, I just let him do his own thing. I wasn't a, we weren't helicopter parents at all. I wasn't yeah. a tiger mum. I helped him if I could, but I was rubbish academically. So once he'd got, you know, like basic mathematics, I couldn't help him anyway. So I'd go, don't know, love, you have to ask the teacher. Um, yes. And I left him to his own devices because I thought that is then his true level of academia. If I mm. help him with homework or tutor him, and, you know, I know kids were tutored with an inch of their lives. And I think, yes, but actually, they then might end up in an amazing university, but struggle, because it's actually yes. not their true academic level. Yeah. So neither Eamon and I went to university. So both of us were very stand-back parents and go, that's up to the school. That's what we're, that's mm. what they're for. We'll help at home when we can. And we'll see what comes mm. out the other end. And, he, you know, he yeah. wasn't the highest academic but he certainly wasn't stupid and he's a very creative person and he's gone into a creative industry now so I hope he does well who knows Mm. I mean it's interesting to watch them that's the joy of being a parent is to watch them grow and think oh you know one thing you thought when they were young like Jack's a great musician he plays the drums and I thought he would do something like that go into music but no so you can't call it can you and you shouldn't call it no no, and ultimately we want them to be happy and yeah. following their own path that's authentic to them. Um, now, next midlife reset moment is looking after ageing parents. I know this is a big one for mm. so many people. I mean, you lost your dad, Dennis, to dementia 11 years ago. Well, he suffered with dementia and mm. complications related to that. And now you spend a lot of time with your mum, Joan, who's in her 90s mm. now, who also has dementia. And I know that you are, are a passionate ambassador for the Alzheimer's Society what did you learn from your dad's experience that is helping your mum and the way you care for her now oh so much we knew Mm. nothing about it was Alzheimer's my dad had um we knew nothing about Alzheimer's or dementia and hindsight is a wonderful thing of course so when we knew nothing we just thought he was being a bit odd sometimes and dad's been a bit odd and dad's being a bit this anyway eventually when we realized something was wrong and we had the diagnosis I think I was in denial actually I didn't want it to be happening I was very close to my dad we were very similar characters actually and he was great fun and he was a great storyteller and I was angry I was like I don't know he shouldn't have this so I used to try and help him remember things. It's the worst thing I could have done, I now realise. So that's helped with my mum, because I don't do that to her. So with my dad, I would say, no, no, dad, remember, remember, we went there. Daddy, remember, we went to that place. Remember, we did that. Remember, remember, dad, remember. You didn't remember. And then it would actually either make him cross because he'd go no we have never been there I'd go yes we did dad remember or he'd get confused or a bit upset and I thought I was helping him to remember mm. come on biggest mistake um, but that's something you wouldn't know unless you've been no, through it that's exactly. a really useful piece of information and also there yeah. wasn't as much awareness as there is now which is why I'm a, you know um 
work with the um, Alzheimer's Society because I think it's very important, like we were talking about menopause, that yeah. we talk about it so other people go, oh, actually, my dad's that's happening to my dad. Maybe he's got Alzheimer's. Maybe we should get checked. So I did so many things wrong with my dad. So, yes, I have learned a lot. And with my mum, I'm very different. So I try my absolute hardest never to say to her, do you remember? And when she tells me something for the fifth time, try my absolute hardest not to say yes yes mum you told me now listen I'm a human being so occasionally you know yeah. occasionally when it gets to the fifth time I go yeah 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 mum you mm. told me and then I feel awful but I mm. just I cope with it much better because I realised with my dad as time when my dad had Alzheimer's for a long time and my mum looked after him for 11 years so it's a long time she was his carer wow. and above and beyond and actually she, towards the end she was making herself ill which is why my sister and I had to kind of persuade her it was probably time that he needed extra care and it was mm. sort of very difficult so but I realized with my dad that you know we talked about earlier in the moment in the moment my dad was having a nice time whether that was having his coffee or listening to some music or we were visiting even when he didn't know who I was and I believe he didn't towards the end I think he he always knew my mum he knew her voice even so even right at the end if my mum spoke he would always lift his head so he knew my mum I think but I think for me he thought I was just a nice lady that brought him cake but in that moment he was having a nice time he was smiling so I've always held on to that which is yeah you know there could have been worse things. I mean, Alzheimer's is awful. Mm-hmm. Dementia is awful. Yeah, it's cruel but, in so many ways. But so but is... But you're right. So there is can always, Parkinson's. Yeah, everything is. And yeah. actually, to have somebody who, when they have mental capacity, where, and I've had friends that say, you know, they've had their parents going, why are you leaving me here? Don't leave me here. I want to come home. Mm. I would have broken my heart. My dad never did mm. that. He was He was a very happy person with Alzheimer's and he enjoyed yeah. certain things. And my mum... Her dementia is very different to my dad's. Very, hers is more just memory. Dad, my dad did odd things, like he put his slippers in the fridge and he opened a pot of hand cream once and started eating it. It was, it was odd things, sometimes yeah, amu- okay. sometimes amusing, because you have so to. So that can laugh. be a sign. That can be a sign of Alzheimer's. Then. Yeah, I mean, there are can lots. Yeah. Well, I think with my dad, when I look back, he became very. Um, when I say antisocial, my dad was a great always going out. You know, often I'd phone my parents, they weren't home. I'd be phoning, phoning, no mobiles then. And eventually I'd get hold of them. I'd go, I've been calling you all day. My dad, my mum said, oh, well, we went to the supermarket and then dad said, oh, why don't we drive down to... And then we found this lovely little pub and then we did this and then we drove along the coast. So they had all these little adventures. He loved being out. He loved people. He liked being parties. And suddenly he didn't want to go anywhere. He didn't want to go to the cinema. I didn't... You know, we just thought he was becoming curmudgeonly. You know, it's like, stop being so boring, dad. Mum wants to go out and I now look back and I think that was all part of it he started drawing the curtains very early in the day you know Mm. just became very insular and doing odd things and my dad was army regimented you know place for everything everything in its place Mm -hmm. yeah and suddenly he couldn't find anything and then we'd look for it and we found his camera in the washing machine we found his slippers in the fridge you know weird Wow. And that to me now, looking back, we that's when we should have gone and said, he's doing things that are completely out of character. You know, mm. he always, um, he shaved twice a day, my dad. And suddenly he didn't want to have a shave in the morning. And my mum was going, Dennis, you whisk it. So it was all these things now, mm. I go, just out of character. So when it started happening with my mum, 
I could see little things, but it's very, very yeah. different. Hers, hers is more just memory. It's just memory. So she literally will have her breakfast and then two minutes later you go, what did you have for breakfast? And she can't remember. But again, in that, yeah. in each moment, I mean, people will see her. I have I put her on my Instagram just because people seem to enjoy mm. watching her yeah. singing and having a sherry. Yeah, she's she's, she's she's happy and she's healthy and she's well looked after. She loves the dog. She loves coming here. Yeah. And you just deal now where I also had to remind myself quite often, my mum's 91. So she used to be very fit and active. And so I would start, you know, take her, let's go to Kew Gardens, let's do this. And then I was out, I think I took her to Wisley Gardens and suddenly I realised she was very slow and I thought, this is too much yeah. for her. You've forgotten. Mm. And then she was, I think she was 87 then or something. And I looked and I could see she was a bit like, and I then, so I now have to rein it in. I have to rein Mm. myself in and just go, what does she like doing? What she likes doing is coming here. She likes my frothy coffee machine and I make her frothy coffee. She likes sitting with the dog. We do crosswords, which she loves. We play Scrabble, which she loves. She likes to peel the veg. She likes to help me cook. That's it. It's enough for her. I love your... Instagram yeah. showing your like yeah. Sundays together with your sherries yeah. and again coming back you know full circle to how we started this conversation about being in the moment yeah because that's all you can do when somebody's yeah. suffering with yeah. dementia or outside and it's a good it's, an, it's a good lesson for all of us actually mm. it's like you know and I think now with social media and phones I'm guilty of it myself so I'm not I'm not kind of lecturing so I'm guilty of it myself we're always like this or we're somewhere, yeah. but we're taking pictures. And sometimes I have to tell myself, mm. I go, put it down and just look at the view. You don't have to have a picture of everything to put on Instagram no. or send your friend. Just look at the view. Just enjoy the meal. Just, you know, and it's lovely. I love social media. Don't get me wrong. I yeah. absolutely love it. And I love that, you know, I'm saying to you, oh, yes, I saw that you went for a walk. I saw you with your yeah. boys. I feel it's a way for me of keeping up with people because we're all mm. busy and we don't all have time to see each other. So before, if I'd met up, like we had lunch, I'd have to be saying, so what's going on? How are the boys? What's get-? Now I kind of know. It's like a shorthand, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, that's true. And then we can get right back to the deep point. Yes, so we yes. Because you go, I know what age your boys are. Yeah. I know that you'd go for walks. I know where you live. All that stuff. And so I feel it's my way of, you know, when I bump into people, particularly in the industry I work in, hate the word showbiz, but, you know, in this industry, mm. Um, when I bump into people, I know I go, "Oh, how's the book doing?" Or because I've watched, I've seen it on their Instagram. Yeah. So I love social I, media, but I think sometimes we've got to step back from it and have that not a detox. Because I never have a day when I don't look and have a look and mm. have a scroll and TikTok, and I'm obsessed sometimes. But just sometimes take in the moment, like live in the moment. Yeah. And it's hard to do sometimes. Yeah. And I think as well for somebody like you, you know, who is in the public eye, though, do you feel like a bit of a responsibility there to show kind of all of life, like not only the good parts, but not a responsibility? What your going yeah, not not a responsibility, just to be real, actually. Mm. So I think I could fill my Instagram with just pictures of me being on the telly with my hair and makeup done. Go, oh, here I am with Colleen and Nolan. Here we are with a guest, and isn't this fabulous? And it's fabulous, and it is fabulous, and I love it, and I love having my hair and makeup done. And here's me on a front cover of a Hello magazine, and isn't it fabulous? Mm. But also, we are real people. So I go, and here's me walking the dog with no makeup on. Here's me doing count yeah. to 5K, sweating and panting with a beetroot red face, telling you that I've managed to do 2K today. 
here's me cooking shepherd's pie with my mum because actually that is real life and that is actually mm-hmm. very us. Eamon and I are not show busy people. You know us. We're not. Yeah. Listen, who doesn't love a bit of showbiz and a bit of dressing up and mm. going to an event? But we're not terribly show busy. It doesn't define no. us. It's our job. And I think that's because we've both come from local telly, both come up through the ranks, as they say, you know, and we've done yeah. our apprenticeship. And I feel sorry for people sometimes that have fame thrust upon them at a very young age that they think yes. they get, they think they're gonna love. And it's quite mm-hmm. tricky. So I have a very I have a kind of very measured feeling about being in the public eye. You know, I went to see yeah. Peter Kay um, on Saturday night and it was great. And in the, we were in the bar before and quite a lot of people, it only takes one person to be the first, came up and they always do this. They always apologise. They go, hi, sorry, sorry. But and I go, don't apologise. And I go, would you like a picture? And they go, yeah, do you mind? But it's my wife. And I go, no, don't mind at all. And once they see that you've been nice to one person, that you yes. were fine, you took the picture, then they start coming. And it's fine because I don't yeah. mind it. People chat to me yeah. and then I go, oh, you're here to see Peter K. Oh, yeah, chat. Oh, is this your mum? Hello. Um, and I think that is part of what I do. It's like you can't, mm-hmm. you can't be on television and shows like, you know, I was 17 years on this morning where you're opening your life and people are telling you theirs and you're sharing things. Yeah. And be in those sitting rooms. I mean, you literally are in their sitting rooms. And then not expect them to say hello to you when they no. see you in Tesco. Yeah, you're right. With the type of TV, yeah, you know, that you're involved yeah. in. Same with loose women. Yeah. People want to have that natter yes. and think they, they yeah. know you. They you think they know you. aspects of and, your life. And I'm flattered by that because I think if that's the effect, yeah. if they feel comfortable to come up to you yeah. and say, oh, hi, how's Eamon? Yeah, they always go, how's Eamon? How's Joe? How's your mum doing? Yes. Oh, you know, it's nice. It's a nice thing. Nobody has ever come mm. up to me, well, once years ago in a bar, very drunk man. But nobody's ever come up to me and said, just thought I'd come over and say, I think you're really crap on the telly and I really don't like you. They don't. If they're that person, they just don't come over and you don't know. So it's always nice. People are always nice. They come and they just want to say hello, really. And then, of course, now we've all got these. I prefer this. Years ago, it's like, can you sign the back of this fag packet or a napkin? Yes, that's true, actually. Now you do a selfie. Well, you are so lovely, Ruth. And, you know, you are so approachable and open. Yeah, but that's... That's why you've got such a long, you know, um, and you're such a well-loved personality on our TVs. Thank and you. there is a spare seat, I've heard, going at this morning again. <laughs> so <laughs> I think that ship has sailed. Maybe we can see you back in there. Yeah. Listen, never well, say never. Never say never. Never exactly. say never. I, um, I absolutely yeah. adore that show, as you know. And, you know, it was a joy for me. To, it was a dream to work on it because I'd always watched it. I watched Richard and Judy. Mm. And I used to think, what a great show. So when I first worked, and I worked on it before Eamon, actually. People forget that. Yeah. I would say to him, I took you to work, don't forget. But um, no, I loved yes. it. I loved it. And I still love it. It's a great show. Listen, whatever's happened with presenters, it happens. People come and people go. But that show, um, I hope, will always be around. And it evolves. And it's it's a great, great programme. And the people, mm. the people behind the scenes... That, you know, it's a big machine to get on the air every yeah. day for two hours. Yeah. Are fantastic. The same at Loose Women. You yeah. Know, we, we couldn't do Loose Women without the team behind us. You know, so we're the front, no. we're the front of house. Of course we are. Mm. But, you know, there's a lot of production and people and ideas and scripts and all that stuff. So, and I love that. I'm very, very much team player. I've never been a lone yeah. wolf. I'm not, um, 
I'm not a leader in that way. I'm a leader as in mm. I know my what I want and I could, you know, have a team and say, no, no, we're going to do it like this. But I'm a great team yeah. player. So even in that team, if the most junior member said, oh, what if we did this? And I think it's a great idea. I go, that is fantastic. Let's do that. Mm. And I wouldn't take that idea as my own. I would say, Sarah said we should do it like this. And I think that's brilliant. Let's go. So, you yeah. know, I, I, I like... I like that creativity of, you know, other people's ideas and all going into a big melting pot. So, you mm. know, that's what happens at places like This Morning and, and Loose Women. There's front of house, but there are all these fantastic people mm. behind. Well, watch this space. It's so good to see women, bright, beautiful, interested women of your generation on our screen. Thank so you. long may you reign. Thank you, Ruth Rosie. Langford. And you Thank too. Thank you. We've gone massively over oh, because well. this chat just went on and on. And I love talking to you. We covered all aspects, I think, there. Thank, Thank you. you so much for joining me You're today. You're very welcome. Really we appreciate love you. it. Well, I could have talked to Ruth for all day and I'm, I'm sure that we could have been on the phone chatting away uh, for the next 24 hours. We got so much in there and we did cover so many reset moments that we go through during midlife. I think key takeaways for me from that conversation was Ruth is just such a beacon for living in the moment. I thought that was such a positive message because we can all get caught up in the what ifs and the worries about what might happen in our future but we might miss what is happening right here today so I'm really going to try to take that on board remember to live in the in the moment a lot more I enjoyed our conversation about empty nest syndrome perhaps that's resonating with you at the moment and getting out of that critical parenting mode Um, and mothers of boys and girls I'm sure if they cut that apron string don't be dismayed know that they are going to come back to you maybe they just don't want you to ask whether they've eaten their broccoli this week and finally balance Ruth was such a believer in going out and doing her exercise but eating all the cake and having the wine when she wants it too and remembering that we're all only human at the end of the day so in caring for her mother with dementia she mentioned that she gets it right sometimes and gets it wrong sometimes it's natural to lose patience in moments and that is okay we're all doing the best that we can do so that was a real dose of positivity from Ruth I hope you enjoyed our conversation If you enjoyed this episode, please do share it with your friends and I'd be so grateful if you could leave us a rating or a review. Don't forget to sign up to the In A Good Place newsletter for more discussion around personal development tips, the concept of resetting your life and to share your thoughts with me. Simply visit hellomagazine.com and click on the newsletter icon at the top to register.